If you have your Bibles, could you take them and turn to Philippians chapter 4? Philippians chapter 4. We'll continue reading. Uh, we've been going through this book as a church family on Sunday mornings. Kind of the theme that's held this together is the fact that as a church, we are better together. We are better together. Can I begin reading in Philippians chapter 4? And I'll pick up in verse 1 and read to verse 9. Verse 1, Therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy and my crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. I entreat Yodia and I entreat Syntyche to agree in the Lord. Yes, I ask you also true companion. Help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. Verse 4, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, Whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable. If there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. And what you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things. And the God of peace will be with you. To try to understand and fully appreciate the message of these particular verses, it may be helpful to imagine with me that you have been deployed for a special mission with a a particular team. And at one point, that mission was crystal clear. You understood it. The team got it. The focus was laser sharp because everybody knew what the mission was. Your effort was significant in pursuing a particular mission, but over time, as things happen, the focus got less and less clear. You start getting slightly careless, not really sweating the details anymore. And as far as the team goes, you aren't getting along so well anymore with the team because people can be jerks and hard to live with and hard to work with. And in your soul, you begin to ask those questions. You begin to go places like, is this really worth it? Is it worth the effort? Is it worth hanging in there for this? It isn't hard to imagine that once you begin to go in those places, once it kind of breaks down, the mission breaks down in those places, it's not hard to imagine a a, a thousand bad places that goes. I, I say all that because I think it's important for us to realize that even as we are this family of believers... 
We are a family of believers that are on a mission. We're a family, yes, we meet together. We meet together regularly, but we meet together, then we leave and we go out into the world on mission to share the message of Jesus, to show the love of Jesus, so that others might follow Jesus. This is our mission. This is what we're all called to do. And yet, in striving to be faithful to the mission, sometimes as a team, as a family, as a church, things get complicated, things get difficult. And I think this particular passage in Philippians 4 will help speak to some of the challenges that we face in pursuing this mission. There are some things that Paul will call us to do and call us to think about. And I pray our answer will be, yes, Lord, whatever you want. You see, in verse 1, it begins, Therefore, my brothers whom I love and I long for, my joy and crown. And here's here's the call, here's the instruction. Stand firm in the Lord. So I think if we were summarizing what Paul is saying, we might say, when you're tempted to move, for whatever reason, when you're tempted to move because of just, let's say, mission drift, you get off course, or when you're tempted to move because of the opposition you face, when you're tempted to, to kind of waver from where you are, Paul would say, stand firm in the Lord. And he says it to the Philippians, I think by extension he says it to us. Stand firm in the Lord. Keep trusting. Keep repenting. Keep going to the gospel again and again of grace. Keep confessing your sin. Keep obeying what the Lord has said. Keep following Jesus. Stand firm in the Lord. Keep gathering. Keep serving. Keep loving. Keep denying yourself. Stand firm in the Lord. Keep making those decisions for a pure body and a pure mind. Keep living a generous life. Keep humbling yourself under the mighty hand of God. Stand firm in the Lord. Paul would say it this way in Ephesians 6. Finally be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. Therefore take up the whole armor of God so that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. And having done all to stand firm. This is regular instruction from Paul that we are meant to stand firm. That when we're tempted to waver and tempted to move, tempted to kind of throw in the towel and call it quits, we are called here as Christians, as the family of God, to stand firm. What did Paul kind of encapsulate this command with? Because he says stand firm, but on both sides of that, there are a whole lot of motivation. There's a whole lot of motivation for Paul in saying this. It's like he pours on words of affection. Do you see it in verse 1? He calls them brothers, or if you'd like, brothers and sisters. He says, you're the ones that I love. You're the ones that I long for. To the church at Philippi, you are my joy and my crown. You're my pride and joy. At the end of verse 1, he says, you're beloved to me. I, I love you. Paul is, has this flood of affection that he pours out on the Philippians. This may be like going into where I shouldn't go, but at times, at times, parents sometimes have their, their favorites. You can just discuss that over Mother's Day lunch today. <laughs> at times, it seems like parents have their favorite. At times, it seems like there's the teacher's pet. 
And I wonder, as you read Ephesians and Philippians and Thessalonians, you think, I think the Philippian church is his favorite. I don't think Paul likes any church more than he likes this church. Because he's stacking up. So he says, stand firm in the Lord. But he says, kind of encapsulating that is, you're, you're my brothers and you're my sisters and you're my pride and you're my joy. And I'm emotionally invested in your success spiritually. I love you. I care for you. Sometimes we need to be reminded of how much we matter to others. And let that be a motivation to all of us to express how encouraged we are by the spiritual progress of others. I just wonder, I wonder in the past week, did you, did you affirm anybody in their spiritual progress? Did you notice someone that seems to be trying to make the right decisions, trying to do what's right, trying to pursue the Lord, trying to guide their life by what God wants? Did you notice that? And then when you noticed it, did you call that out? Did you, did you tell them? Did you express that, that I'm encouraged by what God is doing and what God has done in your life? Did that, did that come to mind? I think in Paul's encouragement to us, like, I think one thing we could take away from this is if we've noticed that other people are growing and, and handling pressure well and standing firm under trials, we could tell them, I see God at work in your life. Paul does that and gives us a great example. When you're tempted to move, stand firm. But let's keep reading in verse 2. He says, I am urging, I'm entreating Euodia, and I'm entreating Syntyche to agree in the Lord. Yes, I'm also asking you, the true companion, help these women. These women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel. Together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers whose name are in the book of life. I think there's another call to action, and that is when interpersonal difficulties arise. This passage is telling us we ought to work to agree in the Lord. And not only that, we not only work to agree in the Lord, but we also, we also work to help others agree in the Lord too. When there seems to be a divide, when there seems to be people parting and going their own ways... So we, we've said a whole series here as we look through Philippians, we are better together, but often, often there are things that come up and the words there, when interpersonal difficulties arise, because they're going to. This is going to happen. We're not blindsided by this. This is what we expect. We're called to work to and help others work to agree in the Lord. So if you just walk out these doors, you'll see on the wall, encounter Christ, and the second words will be experience community. And this says, this is what happens. This is what should be happening when that community begins to break down. When two people seem to be going their, their own way and there seems to be conflict arising. It seems in this, two people, it's just amazing to me, two people get their names called here. Like imagine, if you're one of them, 2,000 years later, in how many languages has the Bible been translated? We're still calling their name. It mattered that much to Paul that these two people were not agreeing. There wasn't a shared mindset and the aim and the direction and the orientation of their lives wasn't the same. 
This matters to Paul. Even in Philippians 2, verse 2, he says, Complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, full accord, and of one mind. And something here has now derailed that. And Paul is saying, let's work to agree in the Lord. So probably for as long as there have been television shows, for as long as there have been sitcoms, there have been plot lines, like half-hour sitcoms that started off with two people not getting along, and then there's some crisis moment, and then they decide they are going to get get along, and what do you know, in 30 minutes, the whole thing's resolved, they're laughing about it. They're enjoying. I don't know about any, I don't know about you. I don't, I can't remember any of my family difficulties being resolved in like 30 minutes where we're all kind of laughing about it at the end. But we know when we watch that, it's like that, that isn't the way it goes. That isn't the way it happens. So there's real conflict in the church of Philippi. And Paul says, agree in the Lord. Work to agree in the Lord. This week, I began like, trying to process that in my own heart. Of, so what is, what is my responsibility? So what's easy for me to do is think of what your responsibility is when we don't agree. But it's, it's very, very unhelpful to do because a, a long time ago, I realized you can't control another person's behavior. As hard as you try. So then let's put the focus on us. If, if we're trying to agree in the Lord, what is that going to take of us? And I, I just jotted a few things down. I, I probably could have jotted a hundred things down, but, but here's six different things that I think would require of me if I'm going to obey Jesus when he says, agree in the Lord. If I don't want to obey Jesus, that's a different story. But if I really have a heart desire and the Holy Spirit's worked on me to say, I want to agree in the Lord. I don't want to be like, have a division with anybody in my church family. Then what is this going to require of me? I think first it requires, and these aren't in any certain order, but it certainly requires a posture to reconcile. I have to be at least like a a posture, a willingness to reconcile, even when it may not happen because sometimes things don't get reconciled. And sometimes it's going to take a long, long time before things get reconciled. But, but I cannot be a disciple of Christ and say, you know what, I could care less about reconciliation with my brothers and sisters. I must, I must have that posture that I want to be in this. I'm not going to write myself an excuse for why, ah, this really doesn't apply to me. Second, I think for me, it takes a humility to listen and not to speak immediately. And this is tough because I really value being heard. And I really value being understood. And most all of my opinions seem to be good ones to me, right? If I didn't think that, I'd change my mind. And how often, instead of listening and trying to understand, are we just waiting? We might even technically be listening, but we're just waiting for that other person to shut up long enough so that we can just pulverize them with our powerful logic, with our superior arguments, because they have no idea and we know everything. And we just wait, we wait. You just shut up. Okay, now you're going to listen. But if we are going to agree in the Lord, I guess it's hard. It sounds nice for Paul to say, tell those two ladies, get along. But then when it's me and I think of some of the conflict that I've had at times, there's just no simple 
formula that this follows. I think third, not only a, a posture to reconcile, humility to listen, but also an openness to change my mind. An openness to change my mind and my behavior. If my only solution for agreeing in the Lord is they have to change, likely, likely we're not going to get there a lot of times. Could there be something I need to change? Could there be a perspective I need to see? I think fourth, it, it involves, it requires in me a decision to think the best. Love thinks no evil, 1 Corinthians 13 says. Love always thinks the best. I think this especially applies in the area of motives. I have to at least assume, even if we disagree on some things and it gets kind of heated, I have to at least assume and work to assume that you mean the best in your motives. Who am I to judge motives anyway? Number five, I think there's got to be a willingness to forgive and or seek forgiveness. This is what we know about conflict. It happens because of sin. And often that sin has a distribution, doesn't it? It's, it's mine and it's someone else's. And sometimes that's 90-10 and sometimes that's 50-50. And it doesn't do you a lot of good to figure out, okay, who's got the greater weight. What it does require is that at some point, someone's going to have to say these words, I was wrong, will you forgive me? I was wrong for the way I handled that. I was wrong for the way I spoke to you. I was wrong for having that attitude. I was wrong for gossiping about you. I was wrong for this. And someone eventually, a Christian, a follower of Jesus, is going to have to come to the conclusion that obeying Jesus is more important than being prideful and right and stubborn. And at some point, do we acknowledge this? This is not easy. But we go to Ephesians 4.32 that reminds us we can forgive because God in Christ Jesus has forgiven us. And the last thing that kind of puts this into perspective for me that I have to remember when I'm, I'm working to agree in the Lord is that I ought to let eternity be the guide for me. Like, will this matter for eternity? I just wonder if we went to Euodia and Syntyche, whoever they were, we said, what, will, this, will this deal here, whatever's going on, will it matter in 2,000 years? Because you don't even know the place Delaware, but somewhere there's going to be a guy talking about it. He's going to call your names out. Does it matter? Is it so important that you're right on this? How will this matter? How will this particular difficulty, how will that play out in a thousand years from now? It's not saying it's worth, you know, we just check out and we don't engage into challenging situations, but it, it does give us an eternal perspective. I think our hearts are always prone toward conflict, disagreement. And then we get new avenues. I don't know how, however many decades ago we were graced with the internet, which just makes solving interpersonal conflict that much easier, doesn't it? And if that weren't enough, we've got social media where our disagreements, well, let's just go public with them. The smallest thing Let's post and post and post and post and argue and argue and argue. And let's not forget that our, our, our friends that don't follow Jesus, they watch. They pay attention. But then, but then we've got to be right. So we've got to link to this. Well, yeah, what about that? And yeah, what about this? And, and in the midst of that, would Paul have the same words to us? Would he look at the post and go, would you agree in the Lord? 
And, and here's, here's where I know Paul is dealing with the real world because he knows Yodia and Syntyche may not be able to get there on their own. So he's calling out another person, a true companion, saying, there, there needs to be someone else involved in this. They need to help. Others are often needed to be called in to help make this happen as the unity gets threatened. Church, as the, as the intensity of the arguments gets higher, the responsibility grows for us as the people of God, not just to look the other way. We care too deeply. It matters too much. Are we, are we called to hang in there, struggling together? It's interesting. I mean, Paul is kind even as he calls them out. He could say, you ladies aren't even acting like Christians. Shame on you. You should be ashamed of yourself. You're whiny brats. Get over it. Did you notice how he talks to him? He says, you are my fellow workers in the Lord. And all of our names are written in the book of life. We're together. We're together in a shared mission right now. We're working together. And then one day we will be in eternity together. Because our, our, our names are recorded in the book of life. Let's, let's come together. Agree and help others agree in the Lord when interpersonal difficulties arise. Work to agree in the Lord. As we're pursuing God's mission together, I think Paul has some other instructions for us. Uh, actually, a group of commands that my guess is, in hearing them, they sound very familiar. So Philippians 4.4 4 says, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say it, rejoice. Just take note of these commands, all right? So we've got rejoice in the Lord. Verse 5, let your reasonableness, or other translations say, like your gentle forbearance, your moderation, let your reasonableness be known to everyone, because the Lord is at hand. Here's another command. Do, Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, Let requests be made known to God. The peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. I think Paul is giving us another call to action and that is as you you face the stresses of life, which we will, as you face the pressure of life and we will look after, keep watch over your hearts and your minds. Keep watch, look after your hearts and your minds. The book of Philippians teaches that You can't always change the circumstances. There's no like magic button to make the Christian life a thousand times easier. Paul didn't know of it. No Christians discovered it in the last 2,000 years. But what is going on in our hearts and our minds inevitably, inevitably is going to flow out in the community and the family of believers we live in. And then what's flowing out of the family of believers when we are at at peace or not at peace, that's going to flow out to the rest of the world that watches us. He talks about the heart and the mind. And he says, he gives some commands to rejoice and not be anxious. What's assumed here is that you must give attention to it. Autopilot doesn't work to make you more godly. Cruise control will not make you more and more like Jesus. It's going to require effort. Our hearts are emotions and our volition, where we feel, where we make choices, our minds, where we think, our our kind of our faculties of thought and our processing 
what, what's right and what's good. Paul lays out commands. He goes to work on our hearts and says, Rejoice in the Lord. What I worry about is you hear like, Rejoice in the Lord and don't be anxious about anything but pray about everything. And as you hear some of these commands, they almost sound, they could easily sound like cliches. Which a lot of cliches are interesting but fairly worthless. So you you have the like, Don't worry, be happy which hasn't really helped me a lot in life, or keep calm and carry on, or everything happens for a reason, or what doesn't kill you makes you stronger. I'm grateful for this week. It's not, it's not been an easy week. It's not been a fun week. I've had multiple conversations. I, I left the hospital in tears as someone was walking through some very tough stuff. Talked to a friend where it seemed like every minute that went by, it's another burden that this... This friend that I care about is being called to bear. Thinking about death, thinking about struggles, thinking about tough times. And so it's been helpful because I, I even walking out of Christiana the other day, I was thinking through, okay, this is what I'm preaching on Sunday. I'm preaching on rejoice in the Lord. How is that not like a, a cliche that says, yeah, don't worry or be happy? How does it help in some of those rooms and some of those tough situations? How does that help when you're dealing with someone that their, their life is just failing before you. How does, that, how does that help anything? Is Paul just giving us cliches? Let's get a nice magnet, a nice bumper sticker, put it on and we'll feel good about it that, you know, God's told us some things, but it really doesn't help when we go through the tough times. I have to tell you, I, I mean, I, I've had to think through that carefully. And what I've recognized when you hear a command like rejoice in the Lord, and, and we're told to do that. So we've gathered and we've sung and we've worshiped, we've praised, we've enjoyed each other. Christian joy is not attached to temporal things and fleeting things, only depending on circumstances. But if I'm pulling that out of the cliche land, I say the reason why I can rejoice in the Lord even in death, even in loss, even in pain, is because I am in the Lord. Because I am in the Lord and nothing can change that. Because I am in Christ. The things that bring me the most ultimate joy that aren't temporal but eternal cannot be taken away from me. Those live forever because I am in the Lord. So Paul is not just trying to give you a like, just get over it. Put a smile on your face. When he says to let your gentle forbearance or let your reasonableness be known to all. That's not an easy thing. The gentle spirit and answer turning away wrath. He's telling us, don't live your life weighed down by the million petty slights you've endured. Forbear. Don't feel like you've got to assert your right every time a parent doesn't do something exactly like you think they should or a child doesn't do something exactly like you think they should or a a co-worker, or a so-called friend. Gentle forbearance is what we're called on. And then there's this issue of prayer. Don't be anxious about anything. And And this is serious stuff. What about the person who can't seem to live a day without unexplained, unreasonable anxiety? And is Paul serious? Don't be anxious about anything. As I think through that, Reminded the primary way to be anxious about nothing is to be prayerful about everything, to begin unburdening my soul. And I don't think that's like something you do one time and see that's done. 
Yeah, I casted all my cares upon Jesus. And that was like in 2013. I don't think it works like that. I think I could, I could free myself of my burdens to the Lord and I could pray to him. And five minutes later, I could feel the heaviness just as certain again. And I could say, Lord, I need you in this moment. And a day later, I could still feel it. And Paul is saying, make your requests known to the Lord. I think what he's aiming at is not just a general, a general prayer, God help everything. I think it's much more specific. For me, it's helpful to think not just in terms of nouns like things and people, but actually verbs. What am I asking God to do? What am I asking him to do? If I'm supposed to make my request be known to God, I'm not just reading through a list of a bunch of people and just telling God about that there are these people. I'm asking God to work in a way that shows his glory or give me wisdom because I don't know how to handle it or strengthen my love or strengthen my endurance or Lord, I feel like I don't have patience to deal with this. I feel like I don't have energy to handle one more trying time. And so I'm calling on the Lord, Lord, would you renew my strength? Maybe it would help you this week to think in terms of what are you actually asking God to do in your situation? Your father knows what you need before you even ask. Paul says we can pray with thanksgiving, knowing we did. We, we can't manufacture everything we need, and so we're dependent on God and dependent on others. Make those requests known to the Lord. Paul's talked about our heart, hasn't he? He's pushed in like, where is your joy? What is your anxiety level? What is your forbearance level with other people? What is your, thank, your thankfulness kind of, where, where is that meter at right now? And then he goes to the mind in verse 8, familiar verse. Yeah, the things that are true, honorable, just, pure, lovely, commendable, anything excellent, anything worthy of praise. Put your mind on these things because this is what will happen. A thousand things in this world will take your mind off that. You will have to intentionally strategize to think on these things. You have to make this a priority early. The things that are right, the things that are pure, what are you filling your mind with? Kind of interwoven in this heart, whole whole issue of like your heart and your mind, what's going on in your heart, what's going on in your thinking. Interwoven in this are two very important promises of God. I want you to see them. So in verse 5, we have one of those promises. It says, you know, rejoice, let your reasonableness be known to all, don't be anxious. But right there in the middle, the end of verse 5, it says, because the Lord is at hand. The Lord is at hand. Is that like time-wise or space-wise? I think either would be okay. Is the Lord's coming near? Scripture says that. Is the Lord present with his people? Scripture reminds us of that. The presence of God. In the midst of, of working to keep your mind and your heart focused, you have the presence of God. And not only do you have the presence of God, but verse 7 says you have the peace of God, the peace of God that surpasses all understanding, cannot be comprehended by human reasoning, far superior to human reasoning. God's peace is able to do what even my logic and what my rationale cannot do. God's peace and God's presence can do it. And, and even in verse 9, it pulls it all together. And says, the God of peace will be with you. The presence of God and the peace of God. 
the promised peace-giving presence of God. It's that peace is like flowing in our heart as a way of spilling out even to our brothers and sisters in Christ. He's saying it even to a whole church. The peace of God will guard all of our hearts and minds. For some of you, that peace of God may seem like very, very distant. And the presence of God may be something you felt a long, long time ago, but not recently. So I talk about like, don't be anxious about anything. But then even as I'm talking, you're thinking of 10 reasons to be anxious. Maybe the fact is you find rejoicing in the Lord hard because right now you're being unjustly treated. And tomorrow, tomorrow you're going to work, you're going to see that person that is just making your life miserable and has the authority to do so. You wonder, how, what, what do I do here? I want to remind you of the presence and the peace of God. I want to call to your mind Joseph in the Bible in Genesis because remember when he was unjustly treated, Scripture goes out of its way to say the Lord was with him. The Lord was with him. And friend, when you are unjustly treated, the Lord is with you. It may seem like you've had an uptick in the last week, two weeks, month, year of life kind of harassing you and things that have made you unsteady, unstable. And I would just call to your mind to remember the disciples in the boat and remember they're panicked. Life, is, life has gotten seriously threatening, even from a physical safety standpoint. And Jesus is present with them in the boat. And remember the words of Jesus when he talks to the winds and the waves. He says, peace, be still. And that same Jesus is present with you as well and can calm your heart. Maybe you feel very vulnerable as a parent Maybe you're a parent of an adult, adult children and you feel very vulnerable. You want to take care of them. You are so, so interested in their well-being. And you're just having a hard time even seeing how God is at work here in a particularly tough situation. I just want to remind you again and again, people brought their children to Jesus. And Jesus didn't say, I don't have time for that. I've got bigger things to do. I'd encourage you to read through the Gospels and see how Jesus cared for parents who are cared about their kids. And once again, I want the Jesus of Matthew and Mark and Luke and John to meet you and the peace of God to guard your heart and mind. Maybe you feel exposed and sinful. Sometimes even walking into church makes you realize, I am I'm a sinful person. I am guilty. Maybe it's particularly areas of sexual sin. Remember Jesus at the woman at the well. He, he certainly didn't run the other way. He was glad to make time and talk to her. Remember Jesus and the woman caught in adultery. And remember how he, he gave her his attention and not, not accusing her, but truly set her free that day. Jesus is just as present here and able to set you free from bondage. Maybe you feel like I've been such a failure. I've made like a, lots of promises to the Lord, but I've failed at all those. And maybe you, you need to be reminded in John 21 of Jesus sitting to, next to Peter, restoring him to a place of ministry even after Peter had forsaken the Lord. Maybe you have experienced in recent days 
a, a loss of someone that matters to you, or at least that loss is pretty, pretty clearly on the horizon. You know, death is pretty inevitable in this situation. I want to remind you again of Jesus in John 11. And when he walks to the tomb of his friend Lazarus and his friends Mary and Martha are close by asking like, why didn't you stop this? It says Jesus, even seeing their grief, Jesus wept and didn't run the other way. So this is, the, this is Jesus who is present and this is Jesus who gives peace. Our hearts and our minds can be well guarded. We hear commands like rejoice in the Lord and we think, I, I can do that all the time. Don't be anxious about anything. I think, I, if that's what it takes to live godly, I think I'm going to fail. Some things give me some great encouragement here. One of those very important things is that Jesus, who knew no sin, lived righteously for us. He never sinned. He is our righteousness. He is the one that perfectly rejoiced in the Lord, was never anxious about anything, prayed about everything. He's our example. But Paul also is his example. Paul's the example. Did, did you read, and, and we'll end in this in verse 9, it says, what you have learned, what you've re- received, what you've heard, what you've seen in me, put it into practice. So church, there, there's messages that make us think and there are messages that call us to action. This is one that calls us to action today. The things that we've, we've even seen by imperfect Christians like Paul, put into practice. And the God of peace will be with us. Let's pray, all right? Father, thank you for showing the way in this passage today. Lord, I pray that there would be faithful disciples of Christ today. Those that were even wavering will stand firm for having heard your voice to them today. For those that even now can think of areas of conflict and disagreement with some in this body that actually need to make that right, give them courage to do that. And may our church family be healthier because we work hard to agree in the Lord. Lord, give us grace as we work on our hearts and our minds where we feel like we cannot keep them. I thank you for the promise that you guard and you keep. Lord, what we need is you and we need our full attention directed toward you. So we, we pray to that end today. In Christ's name, amen.